Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the androgyny and masculinity episode. But we're going to talk with our guest, Grace Ballard. Grace and I met in a training some years ago, and I feel like both of our identities have maybe changed a little bit in that time. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious to get into yours, too. Yeah. So some of the listeners know... I mean, even in the first season on the cover art, I had like all this long hair. And then the second season, I cut all my hair off. So that's been like, even that was like a major and kind of a minor adjustment for how I show up in the sex work world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's changed some of my clients. And anyway, so maybe we'll talk about that. I'm really interested in learning about you. So as we get to know Grace, you can contact them, grace at graceballard.com. Grace is a an ASECT certified sex therapist uh, and a psychotherapist. They do consultation worldwide. Who else are you and what are your backgrounds, Grace? <laughs> yeah, so primarily working in Colorado, New York as a psychotherapist. Uh, I'm living in Brooklyn now, which is also a big transition of the last couple of years. My original training was in Buddhist psychotherapy. I'm currently... Mm more uh, training in modern psychoanalysis. So here in New York, that's <laughs> yeah, the big what thing. Would be, really? So I want to go really quick. What would be the difference between classic psychotherapy and Buddhist psychotherapy? Hmm. Well, the Buddhist psychotherapy is really based in this idea that uh, at our core, uh, we are brilliantly sane. Like we have this clarity and compassion and wisdom that is inherent to everyone's nature. And so we kind of start with that as the foundation, you know, rather than looking for pathology, we're looking for how to get access back to what we, we already have. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a very calming, soothing feeling for some people. Mm -hmm. Like you already have everything you need and it just gets, obscured by you know life conditions and experiences and Mm. um, sometimes we just need help getting back in touch with ourselves I love that yeah okay so modern psychoanalysis did you say that's real big in New York (laughs) yeah I mean I'm kind of making a quip about it because it's Is it like a dating app lingo that gets used (laughs) a lot modern psychoanalysis god I hope not (laughs) um (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I study at the Center for Modern Psychoanalytic Studies here in New York and also the Center for Group Studies, um, kind of okay. becoming a big group therapy nerd. Some people love group therapy. Some people really oh, love group therapy, as you know. It's it's pretty amazing. I feel like it it offers this very like relational way of learning about ourselves that's it's just totally unique. Like you can't get that in individual therapy in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a little bit of experience just as a facilitator in group therapy, and I find that it's very effective to some people who really want to hear from other people and it'll make them feel more normal or less alone. I feel like it's key that people show up wanting to participate. Otherwise, there could be someone who is disruptive to the group. But oh, yeah. Not. I'm sure you deal with a lot. Uh, sometimes people are thrilled to show up and be disruptive to the group. Like, that's their greatest joy. So. Right. That's how they show up in life and relationships. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So what are your specialized areas of training? 
Mm-hmm. So as you know, from our training, um, I went on to do uh, sex therapy certification through ASECT. Um, and I really work with, let's see, lots of people who are um, expanding their own gender, sexuality, or relationship identities, um, either people who are already very much living this and practicing it or are curious about it. Um, and then I really work with a pretty broad spectrum of people. So there's people who are like living like, you know, way out of, I'm like drawing this in the air, like one end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other end I think of is like people from much more like traditional kind of backgrounds, people who are, um, you know, cis heteronormative, like married in monogamous relationships mm-hmm. and also looking to explore their own dynamics. You just described our listeners. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all over I the mean, place. That describes most people somewhere on that spectrum. And of course that we're always moving along it, you know, mm-hmm. I love seeing yeah. the really typical hetero strip club clients um, start to dabble in their gender expansiveness where they're like, I want to paint my nails mm. or I want to start wearing bright floral shirts, which was nothing I was allowed to do, Aww. you know, stuff like that. So you work with a lot of men and masculine people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I do. I kind of always have. And I've been curious as to why that is that people are drawn to me. But I mean, I think we'll get into it today as we mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. But I think I just really love masculinity. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it in myself and in others. and. um not everybody feels that way. Same. Definitely. I had someone tell me once they said, Elle, I think a lot of times people don't like you because you come off as like um, with these masculine tendencies, you know, so-called masculine tendencies, being like <laughs> assertive or direct or questioning. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's very unfair because I think it's the autism. But <laughs> like, yeah. Um, okay. So were you ever called a tomboy? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, Big time. Big time. And I think that's an interesting whole other discussion. I'd love to hear from a ton of people on their experiences about that, because I feel like tomboy girls or whatever we were as children, you know, whatever we were called or considered, um, tend to be more socially supported than so-called sissy boys. Mm, Yeah. In general, I mean, you know, our culture definitely... Like there's a lot of misogyny tied up in that. I think anybody who's moving towards like a more feminine kind of expression, um, there's always some discrimination that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Androcentric culture, right? Yeah. That's our culture, like more central to androgyny or masculinity. It's not a, it's not a matriarchy that we live in. That's for sure. Did you say earlier You work with men and mask people sometimes around out-of-control sexual behavior Mm -hmm. or they have questions about how they want to embody masculinity. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in that, um, out-of-control sexual behavior. Can you think of some examples? Yeah, so this is really where I work um, a lot with cis men. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think if I've had anybody coming in for OCSB, OCSB is like the shorthand out of control sexual behavior, mm-hmm. um, who is not a cis man, uh, maybe, but it, the vast majority 
it is cis men who are expressing some kind of concern about this. So it's um, often like I've been cheating on my wife, um, I've been having affairs, or I have some kind of like compulsive behavior, like um, watching a lot lots, of porn, or lots of porn use. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you know, hours and hours, like it feels like something I can't manage. It's getting in the way of other things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Which like, again, these things aren't, I mean, cheating is cheating is a whole other conversation but like seeking out porn or sex work isn't inherently bad but if you feel like it's more than you want to be or you can't afford it or your behavior isn't good when you are there those are problems right yeah and i i love that you mentioned that that it's not inherently bad because out of control sexual behavior as a model is really created as a um, alternative to the idea of sex addiction and it's that's one of the central tenets is that's different i think is that there's not like set defined behaviors that are like on the naughty list you know mm-hmm. it's, like if you do x then you are y then you are y yeah it's right. more like um when people come in to talk about it the first things that we're talking about is like how is this a problem for you individually like why are you seeking therapy for it mm-hmm. um because you know, one person might have a great time using porn all day and and have like no issue with it, right? And mm-hmm. another person, it's like I'm, you know, feeling disrupted in my relationship or my work. Like I'm, it's getting in the way of things that I want to be able to do in my life, or mm-hmm. somehow it's feeling incongruent with my values, or I'm feeling shame about it. I mean, that that's often a mm-hmm. big part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting one because it's like, so your values, um, how culturally conditioned are those values? Because if you live, right, if you're in a community where they tell you that all porn use is unequivocally bad, you know, and you're a sinner or you're sick, that's going to obviously impact your shame, um, which can make you feel out of control. You know this stuff, right? But Mm -hmm. then it's like, I have my, I have my clients, some experience shame in the sex work arenas. Some of them don't. I'll tell you the ones that don't are overwhelmingly easier to interact with really <laughs> oh god yeah because they don't like nag themselves oh. or try to haggle or say stuff like <laughs> you know i'd rather take you to dinner it's like just please understand oh. that this is transactional you know uh-huh. there's nothing wrong with that like there's an acceptance of what you're there to do yeah like so- the relationship that you're in yeah um so that's very interesting yeah so i just wanted to point that out that people sometimes I think when they and tell me if I'm wrong but I wonder if people ever show up where they think they have an out of control sexual behavior and then if you ask them to explain how it's causing them distress maybe it's not particularly causing them distress but maybe yeah. like their their wife is you have a problem yes like, well, do you think that because we don't spend enough time together or do you think that because the church told you all porn was bad and then, yeah sometimes the problem is my partner doesn't like it um mm-hmm. which is not a necessarily a problem for the client you know so that's something that we have to tease apart too like so sometimes people will come in um uh, thinking of this person who came in a few years ago um and as he was describing you know he was um he had all these different sexual partners and uh the way he was talking about it he was like he sounded so excited and i was like so what's the problem here (laughs) (laughs) he's like well 
uh, one of my partners doesn't like it. And so like she wants me to come in and fix this. And mm. and I was like, it doesn't really sound like you want to fix it. But, mm-hmm. you know, what's to fix, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, so sometimes people come in, it's kind of like I have been prescribed therapy by somebody else in my life because they think I should be doing this. But Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that if the person themselves is not interested in changing. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, we kind of, we met a few times and he was like, I think I actually really like what I'm doing. And I was like, yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> call me if that changes. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's like quitting smoking is more effective when the person actually wants to quit, whether like a, mm-hmm. you know, compared to a partner wants them to quit. I'm going to figure. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and just real quick, cause both of us like, uh, getting our aggression out physically, uh, you train in mixed martial arts. I do. Yeah. Um, how is that helpful for you? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, just went and trained like a couple hours before we did this talk because I was like, I know I'm going to have a lot of energy when I'm meeting with Elle today. So I'm going to go run it out at this gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it helps mm-hmm. me to be calmer and um it's something I do at the end of my workday a lot uh when I finish working with clients on the weekday uh I'll go mm. down to the gym afterwards and it's like I get to be loud I get to be playful I'm touching people or you know messing around with each other and and I also mm-hmm. get to be like competitive and aggressive and um you know it's mm-hmm. it's just a totally different realm of, like working with yeah, a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of aggression, and and it, always learning how to do that while maintaining relationships there because those people are also my friends. So I feel like that's a key part of it. You said uh, it's a place where you can practice emotional regulation. <laughs> do you want to elaborate on? Well, that? Uh, sometimes I get a lot of feelings when I get punched in the face or. <laughs> yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah the first time my instructor hit me in the face I almost started crying oh yeah no sometimes I do cry that's normal still yeah that's normal it's like um it's just like an automatic response yeah um I I think about it and talk about it a lot actually because it's it's interesting like how strong of a response it is and as I've started talking about it at the gym, um, I've been surprised how many of the guys are like, oh, yeah, me too. I just like – I don't show anybody that, but that totally happens to me. I get upset or I get – I feel hurt. I feel overpowered or dominated and like mm-hmm. that's – you know, I have emotional response to that. Yeah, the emotional regulation part is like – I guess that's like the technical therapy term for mm-hmm. um, just kind of working with it, you know, like – watching my nervous system come up or react like especially I got hit in the nose the other day um pretty good (laughs) and immediately like you know I have the impulse to want to retaliate yeah um like I'm gonna go harder I'm gonna you know Mm -hmm. really like get Get this person Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and that's part of the training for me that's really important so like how to notice that that's happening in real time and not be reactive, you know, take a breath and manage it. Yeah. Not be reactive and like choose how I want to respond to the moment mm. rather than just, you know, wiling out. We experience that discomfort and yet we keep showing up in that container. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It sounds like catharsis. I think a key difference, like you're saying this container something that's different about going to this place and training is like 
that person that hit me in the nose, like I know cares about me, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. we have a relationship and there's a foundation there of trust. So mm-hmm. I'm able to, to play in that realm with that person. Mm-hmm. I asked masculine leaning people, how do you express or communicate your gender? Um, yeah. And so I want to ask you about being gender expansive in the workplace. What's your experience with transitions or changes in your appearance over the last few years or your lifetime? Yeah, growing up, I really was very, well, it's always been fluid in my life. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I grew up wearing like lots of men's clothes and um, I would say like leaning more mask. And then there's been times in my life where it sort of fluctuated in the other direction and it's moved and changed a lot. And in the time when I was really transitioning into this like professional class, this role of being like really like in an office for the first time um, mm-hmm. as a therapist uh, coming out of school and and going into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of questions come up around like, what, what should I be wearing and how does it affect my legitimacy in other people's eyes? Mm-hmm. You know, if I, I had like, kind of a shaved head at the time. My hair was really short. Mm -hmm. Um, And you might experience these kind of questions too Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) with short hair. But it was like, are people going to take me seriously? You know, if I wear more femme or mask clothing, Mm -hmm. like um, how is it going to affect like people's perception of Mm -hmm. my competency basically? Mm -hmm. I've noticed that people argue with me a lot more when I am uh, presenting more feminine. Oh, yeah. Like, I think about this all the time. Like, I'll just I show up, like, to pick up a food order or to pay the parking attendant or whatever. And I feel like I definitely still get ma'am, and that's totally fine. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It's just more direct, and I just, I can't, it's hard. I was trying to think how I would describe it. I just feel like people waste my time less when I look more masculine. <laughs> it's fucking, it's a shame, but that's what I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it comes up for clients a lot, especially people really? who are gender nonconforming or trans in some way, and there's some kind of, like, transition or shift happening of, like, you know, I think professional clothing is like often where it comes up because it's a particularly like performative space. You know, we're putting on clothes to have a particular kind of effect on people. Mm-hmm. Like an um, elevated role in this case. Yeah, an elevated role. I like that. Good. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in therapy talking with clients about like specific items of clothing, like what would feel good really? both to their... Yeah, their personal relationship with their gender um, and will help them feel confident and um, professional in whatever environment they're going into. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about blazers yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think about blazers a lot. <laughs> That's the title of this, actually. I think about blazers a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So I've said before that sex work uh, for a female person, typically you're going to be performing femininity. And I think about the gender nonconforming webcam performers who are different sexes, but mm. they're more likely to like wear full coverage makeup, you know, even if mm. they're a person with a penis. Um, and 
What does that mean? Full coverage makeup? Like they don't want to show any facial hair. Uh, I see. Yeah. So they're uh-huh. like, I've, I've seen webcam performers who are gender expansive explain that even though they're gender expansive, they get more of a quote straight male audience or people who identify as straight if they feminize themselves. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And I think it's because more of the sex work consumers are um, either straight men or, you know, hetero presenting males. Um, Yeah. But who knows? Which is interesting also in and of itself, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure, yes, everybody has lots of different experiences. Um, So I asked people, masculine leaning people, I asked them on Instagram, how do you express or communicate your gender? Find me on Instagram, by the way, if I'm still there when you hear this, at stripper writer. My backup is at L underscore Stanger. Please find me. I am so freaking shadow banned. So <laughs> folks said, <laughs> folks said, comfort over style in everything. I wear pants with big pockets, nothing form fitting around my waist. So this is a, these are choices. Mm -hmm. someone says i am trans mask i usually wear loose clothing my stance changes i have a confident stride i keep my voice low already like i'm having so many thoughts about the times in my life where i send my voice like up or down Mm -hmm. or my shoulders up or down like in response to the situation that i'm in Mm -hmm you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah if a guy you know that too yeah oh yeah if a guy is starting to get aggressive with me i widen my stance i deepen my voice and i lower my shoulders i act like <laughs> a man like i know yeah. that you know that phrase alone could be offensive because what does that even mean but like i'm reflecting what he's throwing at me mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah like yeah you're matching yes yeah um and that seems to really I like that- piss off just the people you'd expect because they're like you're a girl don't be like me (laughs) stop it um what were you gonna say oh it it just made me think about when you said um you know i look and act like a man in these moments Mm -hmm. and what does that even mean Mm -hmm. this reminds me that i meant to start this whole talk with that question Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) because we're talking about masculinity and um Already it's kind of like this this awkward topic in a way because it's like this socially constructed idea of like which behaviors and traits get grouped into these this binary basically of like mask or femme and mm-hmm. who decides. And, and we're you both know. white Americans, so we're talking about Western concepts of masculinity, um, mm-hmm. which can be very per- pervasive around the world because of colonization probably. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so, okay. Someone says, someone says, I don't express or communicate my gender. The only person it matters to is me and how comfortable I am. This is a cis man. So he probably just hasn't really oh, interesting. Yeah, thought about this. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Person says they communicate it through small dad waves and head nods at other people <laughs> when I'm driving my truck. And wearing my boxer briefs. Oh my god! I want to see this small dad wave very badly. <laughs> I yeah. 
the closest <laughs> I can think of like doing little head nods to the homies like when you each have like tattooed head and like someone like across the 7-Eleven like gives you a little head nod and you're like yeah bro I see you me too yeah I get that I get that once in a while oh my god when I used to ride a motorcycle all the time I uh it just reminded me where people on, a, on bikes passing you would like give a little two fingers down towards the road mm-hmm. and I had to like learn this lingo and this was also a time where I was like fully covered up and had a full face helmet so no one could really see my gender for mm-hmm. the most part like mm-hmm. especially when I was yeah like in jacket or you know sometimes chaps if I was mm-hmm. <laughs> going it's across serious. the country mm-hmm. wow that sounds dangerous <laughs> hot um okay someone says when I am doing tasks considered masculine for my partners again like what would that be like I'm imagining like chopping wood but I chop wood too <laughs> Uh, right uh well none of this inherently belongs to men you know that's that's it right like masculinity does not inherently belong to men and men also don't have to only do masculine things please don't only do but we get kind of stuck (laughs) (laughs) like good luck really be more feminine um someone (laughs) says with my clothes and very short hair and someone Mm -hmm. else says while I perform no matter what, I don't purposely engage with performing femininity. And that uh, comes mm. across as masculine of center, which works for me. When I think of performing femininity, I think about what I do in the strip club again, or if I'm doing webcam to a primarily hetero um, that I can tell audience or a sexting client based on what they're mm-hmm. requesting. But it, and it looks like sticking my butt out more narrowing Mm. my knees um so my stance is smaller um putting my head down and widening my eyes so i look more demure and i'll talk differently (laughs) (laughs) um you know like this is this is on purpose stuff so and i'm communicating what we have been raised is meant to look feminine you know thinking about like and you get a get the response that you want. I typically like. do, yeah, yeah. And I will definitely tweak it depending on, you know, if I'm talking one way and I'm like, oh, okay, that's really nice. <laughs> and then they, like, upset me. I'm like, look, bro, <laughs> like, you get the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> you know, this is also really speaking to how much masculinity is associated with power. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think – you know, we might get into this more with some of the questions later, but I was thinking about that a lot in preparing for this because I think so much of um, so much of the questions around like using it responsibly and when do we like sort of slide into masculinity? It's like we're really talking about power. Like mm-hmm. I need to feel powerful, so I'm going to take this more like man stance. Mm-hmm. And isn't that interesting that like that's what that means? Mm-hmm. Totally. Okay, so with that, we will take a break. Everybody, check out Instagram. I am. <laughs> I just changed it. <laughs> it's Grace Ballard Counseling on Instagram. Okay. And awesome. then, then my website is graceballard.com. Okay, awesome. Everybody go there. You can find my little behind the scenes about my personal life on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. Hey listeners, do you want to open your relationship? Whether you're totally ready or 100% terrified, I've got something for you. Best-selling author, New York Times and NPR contributor Dr. Jolie Hamilton 
is the expert who helps people open their relationships up without burning things down. If you're curious about next steps based on your readiness, grab the only research-backed open relationship quiz from Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Your results are free when you go to joliequiz.com now. That's J-O-L-I-quiz.com. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. You can hear me tweaking my voice right now. <laughs> um, I absolutely <laughs> don't talk like this all the time, only when people deserve it and they're here for it, which we are. Ooh. Yep, this is the androgyny <laughs> and masculinity episode. So we're talking about mask for mask, non-binary people, dykes, tomboys, butch, females, uh, so many different ways to show up in the world. And we are speaking with licensed sex therapist, Grace Ballard. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's do some listener questions. And Grace said uh, during ad break that they're interested in hearing more about how my gender fuckery shows up in sex work. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm thinking about like um, how you relate to like putting it on and taking it off, you know, the gender presentation and like. Mm-hmm. when like do you feel pressured to do a certain way and or yeah. yeah I mean I guess not pressured but like oh yeah I mean you know pressure I mean? you know if you're trying to make money and the client has a request yes. then there's a capitalistic pressure <laughs> to like I want that the money. kind of pressure yeah exactly um, right yeah. yeah choice workers under the coercion of capitalism um so I was thinking about this the other day so when I was younger and a stripper or a nude model on the internet I definitely had If I can recall, I mean, you know, like recollection is biased, but I feel like, and I've talked to other sex workers too, where when you're younger, I had more, I dealt with more creepy middle-aged men, honestly. Um, At Hmm. this point, and I don't know also if it's because I'm more visible or if there's like some good culture shifts happening, but a lot of my clients are still middle-aged men, um, but I also attract more bisexual and like openly kinky men and what that Hmm. looks like is I have dudes hitting me up that are like mommy I want to suck your dick will you bend me over and I'm like okay interesting um pegging or like fucking dudes isn't my specialty but it's something that people like really seem to want me to do so I've started (laughs) leaning into like mommy dom character I'll say and it's really interesting so what you said earlier about performing masculinity can look like power Um, being a dominatrix is an interesting one because you are a you're like a female or a goddess or a mistress or mommy or whatever your clients want to call you or whatever you call yourself but you're still in a very dominant position so Mm -hmm. In a, like, specifically, like, female-dominant position. Yeah. So, like, it's interesting because I'll have clients say, like, I want you to, you know, like, I want to suck your big dick um, while you wear your heels. And so I'll see my stance while I'm working with them, you know, digitally or let's say in person. And I'm... I'm being an assertive version of myself, but it's not myself because inherently I don't identify as a woman I don't feel like a woman I never have Mm -hmm. I feel like I would be some kind of like along the spectrum of between you know purely androgynous and like leaning a little femme because 
I, I like wearing makeup and I like doing certain things and I paid to have big breasts like implanted on me. Um, <laughs> so like I dabble in femininity. It's fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't ever want to have facial hair. I understand there's fem- feminine people who have facial hair. It's a spectrum. But for sure. me, this is where I sit. And so it's interesting to put on heels and makeup and lashes to be like a heightened woman with power. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a different spot in the spectrum. And I don't really know where, but it's been interesting, if that makes sense. And like a heightened position of power woman with a dick. Yeah. And that too. And having a dick is a whole different world. Like, Yeah. Isn't it? It's so interesting. Yeah. Especially when you feel like you really become one with the strap on. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm like, I can feel it. Such a feeling. Such a feeling. Yeah. Like, I know it's not the same, but such a feeling. Listener question one, do mask folks report issues with boundaries or consent not being respected? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is where I already start to think about like, um, you know, why is this a question specifically for mask folks? Um, and there's, you know, some reasons like we could get into, I think, uh, in terms of, you know, statistics or prevalence, right, of whatever. But I think that we're really talking about people in positions of power and asking about um, how are people using power? Are they doing it well? How do we do that well? Um, mm-hmm. And it also makes me think about people who are in positions of power, uh, you know, the privilege that comes with that, you know, one of the privileges is getting to remain ignorant about it. Like they don't have to necessarily take time to really introspect and think about like their position of power and where are potential lines of exploitation in this dynamic um, because they're not the ones who are going to suffer if they don't. Mm-hmm. People who are more marginalized, you know, have to become more power literate mm-hmm. because they are so clearly impacted by it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of my like tangents I get off on a lot in terms of the even question of consent. Um, I was ranting about this last night to a friend, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. like a, a slippery, like banana peel of a rant that I just can't seem to not land on. Um, <laughs> I, I think that so much of our conversations about consent are really about who is holding power and who is exploiting it. Like, mm-hmm. is it is it a question of? you know, the kind of binary question of whether consent is present in a particular situation is like kind of a yes, no question. Like it's fairly simple, Mm -hmm. but then I think so much of the nuance of the conversation is about how is power being exploited potentially Mm -hmm. um, in this dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so much when we talk about consent, we're really, we're really talking about exploitation of power Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they get conflated a lot. That's an interesting one. I was thinking about um, while you were talking factors shaping vulnerability. So Mm. maybe who are the folks that are more likely to have their boundaries pressed on or their consent not respected or even inquired upon? So think about, yeah, like racism um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, English or whatever dominant language, not the language you speak. Are there language barriers? Are you poor? 
are you visibly disabled? Right. Right. So many of these things. Um, or are you talking with your boss? You yeah. Know, or are you talking with like someone who's a paying customer? Like who's holding what power in these positions? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's complex. There's mm-hmm. a lot there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, well, I'm sorry, not obviously. I talk to a lot of men too. <laughs> and there's people that tell me all the time that they experience you know, people pushing on their boundaries or not respecting their consent, but it's not going to be typically to the same degree as again, women, girls, feminine people, um, visibly queer, gender fucking people, I think. Totally. And it it may not have the same level of impact, Mm. like the same kind of um, action may not have the same level of impact. Yeah. Think about, okay. Think about, gosh, I was talking to a, a customer outside the club last week, a couple weeks ago, and I could see a red flag person like coming down the alley. So (laughs) Ankeny Alley, Portland, if no one knows what that is, that's totally fine. But you got the Voodoo Donuts, you got Dante's, you have all these venues, you have clubs all over the place. Um, There's a lot of people wandering around, tourists, the unhoused, the locals, um, passersby. Anyway, so I see a red Mm. flag person and I can't even tell you. I think it was just like, it's a survival thing, like, you know, for being it's hollered at. It's a feeling, being hollered out since yeah. you're a kid. But I'm talking to my my customer outside. He's smoking a cigarette. And uh, I said, hey, watch this. And I did a little countdown <laughs> on my fingers. I was like, three, two, one. And the guy walking by, the red flag guy, <laughs> he said something to me, either about, like, tattoos or my body or something, something, something. And I just, like, nodded <laughs> and, like, pointed at my customer. I was like, uh-huh. And he oh was like, God. oh, my God. He's like, that's terrifying. Like, how did you do that? And I said, yeah. I have been being hollered at by men I don't know since I was a little kid. Like, yeah. And he was like, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, the shit you guys don't deal with, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oof. I was walking off the subway the other day in this neighborhood, got out of the stop. There's, It's one of those blocks where there's like nobody around. It's really quiet. It's dark. It's not well lit. Mm. And me and this guy were the only two people coming off of this stop. And he's bigger than me. He's he, and he's walking right behind me. Oh, good. Right behind me. Same that side of the block. Sense. Totally. You know, and I'm like. Reasonable. I could feel myself like I'm getting mad. because I'm, You know, mm-hmm. I'm feeling it. I know exactly where he is. Like I'm watching his shadow. I'm tracking like the sounds. I'm turning around and looking at him. He's oblivious. You know, he's like on his phone. He's closing the gap between us. Has no idea, you know, the impact that that's having on me. And that was what was like mm-hmm. pissing me off about it. So I was like, you look around you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. What is this scenario that you're in that you're not even like thinking about this? Like you don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very aware, mm-hmm. you know. So to our listeners, and I have lots of men listeners, um, we're not telling you this to make you feel bad. We're just telling you this so you have an understanding of why women or feminine people might be more defensive or less likely to want to crack a joke with you if you're like standing at a bus stop and, you know, you think you maybe you're making mm. small talk, but it's like, I don't have the energy to protect myself from where this might go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I do have the energy. Come at me, bro. No. 
Um, but this is an example of a person in and he's holding some position of power. That guy at the subway, mm-hmm. he has no idea. Mm-hmm. He's not thinking about it. He's, you know, he doesn't have to because mm-hmm. he's not affected in the same way. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of yeah. white people. That's like us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to listener <laughs> question two. Uh, okay. Question is the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Did I say that right? I feel like Nagoski, I think. Okay. Thank you. So the I question think is that's how I say it. Yeah, I don't I'm gonna we go with ask you. Her. You're probably right. I know. <laughs> so I'll read it again. Let's get her on here. <laughs> I know, I would love that. I'm sure she's busy. Uh the book Come as You Are Focused on Sex Issues from a Women's Side. Is that normal in sex therapy? Uh I think to take a woman centered approach. Is that uh, normal? Yeah. Um I mean, I can just speak to the sex therapy that I do. Yeah. Um, I work with all genders um, to really develop a personal relationship to gender and sexual health. So um, I don't know about normal, but for me, it's that's not necessarily normal to <laughs> just focus on mm-hmm. female-centric um, approach. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it it got me thinking about some of the common explorations that I do with mask folks, Ooh, um, which is around, yeah, like how to be a good man, uh, whether this is a cis man or someone who's um, transitioning or, you know, mm-hmm. in some kind of like trans um, position, mm-hmm. how to wield power responsibly, transitioning into more mask role, how to express desire and attraction without being a creep. This is a thing that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I want to say, especially for AFAB people, like this mm-hmm. is an extra concern because probably because they are so familiar with the other side of like receiving that attention, um, mm-hmm. the creepness, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like, oh, if I want to be a person who's leading in, in sexual encounters and I want to like let somebody know that I'm interested or I'm attracted, or I have desire. Uh, how do I do that in a way that doesn't feel like predatory or intrusive in some way? That's mm-hmm. yeah, something I talk about a lot. Um, yeah, and then again, OCSB we talked about earlier. Out of control sexual behavior is a big one. So, come as you are was such a crucially important book because yes, you and I know, and a lot of people have figured out at this time by listening to the show that there's just tons more research and resources for men about libido and pills you can take for that um they're still lacking a lot of healthy holistic tools and information for sure um but that book was really important because i think it answered a lot of questions for women about you know why is my libido like this or not like this or what's Mm -hmm. normal It's a book I recommend to uh, people of all genders, though, because like you're saying, there's a lot of focus on sexual functioning for men, but that's kind of where it stops. You know, it's like how to make your dick like do what we want it to do when we think it should do that. Um, And then like also stop when it's supposed to start and stop and perform exactly like as prescribed, you know, like (laughs) Mm -hmm. that is a lot of the, the like the extent of how do we help men with their sexuality? Mm-hmm. Um, we need more. Yeah. More. And I think come as you are, I mean, just gets into some really great topics about arousal and 
um, barriers to arousal, <laughs> barriers to arousal, totally, and like, and how that's actually just as important mm. to figuring out like what's going on in an arousal cycle, like, mm-hmm. you know, the gas and the brakes is a big thing she talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding the brakes as well as we do the gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, so let's go to listener question three. Do you have tips for helping people recognize or change patterns of toxic masculinity? You said uh, you don't use the word toxic. I'm skipping ahead. I don't use that word. (laughs) That's true. Um, Yeah, I think that it's really shaming. It's like the yucky masculinity, you know? It's, um, It's kind of dehumanizing. It's othering, like... Like, where do you go from here, you know, when you label masculinity toxics? And, like, there's, yeah, all kinds of questions about, like, who decides which traits are, you know, where do they fall? It's, it's a, a, another binary, really. You think about it. It's, like, you're either toxic or healthy. It's the good mm, kind or the bad kind. I understand. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. It's so hard you're saying to, it's contextual yeah. to say what behaviors are healthy or toxic. Yeah, and I think that there's a way that like like this is one of the ways that we kind of lump like all masculine traits together as like the bad stuff. You know, mm. like this is this is harmful, this is dangerous, this is um, you know, hurting people. And there's not a lot of room for like understanding how to embody masculinity in a way that like feels good from that conversation. Right. Yeah. Like it's one thing I definitely, we need like places to vent and complain and share and be horrified at people's behavior. Yeah. But like, I see so many accounts that are just like drag accounts and I'm like, okay, but how do we, you know, like there's dudes in the comments that are like, well, like what, like what would you rather me do like we need to also give modeling for what people can actually do or else they just don't know what to do when it's like excluding men or masculinity from the conversation you know it's it's kind of like saying like like, we want to make you irrelevant so that we can you know like that like that's the answers it's it's kind of i don't know if it's using the word scapegoating is exactly appropriate here but it is kind of like, let's find the bad guy so that we can kick him out and then we're going to be mm. fine because the rest of us are right. good if you're bad, you know? Which is not true. Women no. are not good to each other no. either all the time. Right. What's that? I think it's a second wave feminist saying it's a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Who said that? Yeah. And like, I that's like a really radical idea when you're trying to break away from the patriarchy and like it happened, but we're, we're past that now. And like people need each other. We just, yeah, we do. And we're stuck with each other. And a lot of us are attracted to each other, even if we don't like yeah, that. So, I love men. Again, this is why we have this <laughs> podcast. We want people to have better sex lives and self lives. And like, I love being in like male spaces, you know, like that's part of, you know, I'm thinking of the MMA gym and that, not that it's all male, but like, you know, it's pretty male dominated. Um, I like mm-hmm. being in that space. Like there's something about that that feels really good to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've often gravitated to, um, I have friends of all genders and sexes, but um, I find myself gravitating a lot to masculine people. Yeah. I don't know why, but here we are. Um, okay. Um, you have in the notes, I'm looking at the notes. 
about components of gender health. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about also as like kind of a way to pivot from that question about toxic masculinity. Like it's kind of an alternative uh, conversation to have. Um, This is, this is (laughs) similar to, actually OCSB treatment talks instead of thinking about like identifying the, you know, toxic sexuality traits or whatever the behaviors, um, really looking at like, what is an individual's definition of sexual health? And so I'm thinking about that with gender too, of like, what, what does gender health look like for you individually, you know? And Mm -hmm. this is something that everybody deserves to have like it's not just for certain demographics of people like we all deserve to have a good relationship with our own gender health so mm-hmm. yeah i was looking at the institute for sexual and gender health at university of minnesota i think that they have done a really good job of kind of outlining like what does gender health mean um and so mm-hmm. these are some of the components they talk about Um, identifying societal norms and then being able to discern from that our own beliefs and values, Um, Mm. developing resiliency in the face of stigma and discrimination. So like building, you know, coping strategies and also communities, you know, to help bolster us and against Mm. that, that uh, daily experience Um, going Mm. beyond the binary expanding possibilities for gender identity and expression. They talk about Mm. pleasure-oriented sexuality and uh, really putting that out front that like we all deserve pleasure and that's something that we can be orienting towards Um, Mm -hmm. rather than like what to get rid of or shut down. Like what is it that feels good that that we want to move towards and and, like heighten in our lives Um, Mm -hmm. and then access Mm -hmm. to affirming healthcare which includes, mm. I think, psychotherapy. That's that's gender affirmative. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. What if our culture prioritized men being caregivers Aww. and like really looking out for offspring? Wouldn't that be like the tightest? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We can make our own rules. Yeah. Expanding possibilities for gender identity and expression. The yeah. like full expression of the daddy. <laughs> the daddy yeah, role. Yeah. Like... Yeah. The full healthy <laughs> daddy role, protector, provider, nurturer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which again can be mommy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's take another break. We're going to come back and talk about uh, healthy and safe touch and learn some more about masculinity and femininity. Check me out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You can find Grace on gracebellard.com and my instagram is gracebellardcounseling that necklace vibrator that you see me in photos or going on about on social media or in podcast visit theytalksex.com you'll see a banner in the top right free custom engraving now waterproof that's the vesper design vibrator necklace by love crave they're really strong surprisingly for how sleek they are and it is a fave so no code needed just click the banner visit theytalksex.com
Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, L Stanger. Find me, lstanger.com. You can find me also on Twitter, at L Stanger. I am so, 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 so incredibly shadow banned there as well. <laughs> um, good times had by all. I said the other day, I would make so much more money and have less drama if I just posted cute selfies mm-hmm. and silly dancing TikToks, right? but right instead i like share boring but important articles and like i don't want to say argue with people but (laughs) i tell people when they're actually being factually inaccurate or mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh gosh um yeah so find me on social media we have a fun time and then grace at graceballard.com you can find our guest this is the androgyny and masculinity episode uh, in the first season, I have an episode with Cam Frazier from Australia. Um, yeah. Leading, yeah, Australian male sex coach and sexologist. He's great. He's fun. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, that is the cis man's episode. Uh, it's still one of my favorites. So folks, find that one if this is interesting to you, but you want to go in a slightly different direction. Yeah, I guess um, just one other point I was thinking about is that one of the effects of this term of toxic masculinity um, or, or demonizing of masculinity in general. So I think that there's a lot of people who are living in masculinity and who are enjoying it, and they may not feel like they could say that um, at risk for being perceived as toxic. Mm. Yeah. Mm. When people who identify as women, when women say, oh, you know how men are or Mm. like, oh, all men are the same. And I'm like, no, but they're not, though. Like in my experience, like, but then I'm like, well, I want to honor their experience, but I just can't agree with their statement. And it makes me feel like a um, a traitor to my sex in their eyes. Like, I don't feel that way, but I have had women who really don't like me because I'll say stuff like I have witnessed women lie about sexual assault in order to do harm against a man, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Does that mean that there isn't a massive rape culture issue and most women know what it's like to be sexually harassed or assaulted? That is very the case that that is true. But some people get very, very upset that I could even pose it the, you know, the idea that a woman could do harm mm-hmm. and be culpable for that. Just so, like so limiting to women too. So you know, so, right? Yeah, we got range. <laughs> we can be bad yeah. people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Um. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. It's it's an interesting one. Some people are very attached to their gender identity. I think in a way that makes them feel, you know, like a gender supremacy, and that can show up on either side. Mm, yeah yeah which is a shame we're never gonna learn essentialist isn't it yeah we're all complex humans impacted by the culture right so i found i want to be 100 percent honest i didn't read this whole thing but i was very interested in what i did read so Mm -hmm. i can't vouch for the author uh written by mark green it's on medium.com it's called touch isolation how homophobia has robbed all men of touch. Uh, there's a quote from what I believe is a book called Raising Cain. 
The quote is, boys imitate what they see. If what they see is emotional distance, guardedness, and coldness between men, they will grow up to imitate that behavior. Mm. What do boys learn when they do not see men with close friendships, when there are no visible models of intimacy in a man's life beyond his spouse? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there. Um, So he talks about touch isolation, where people men can't really touch each other unless they're in sports hitting each other chasing each other tackling each other and you'll see a lot of touch there well that's that's it right it's like touch can only be sexual or violent Mm -hmm. for men like that's kind of the messaging Mm -hmm. so then those those become like really needed outlets Mm -hmm. and like can make up for they could end up end up like standing in place for all of the different ways that we need touch um, because they feel like the only options available, which mm-hmm. is so sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, in America in particular, if a young man attempts gentle platonic contact with another man, he faces a very real risk of homophobic backlash, either by that yeah. person or by those who witness the contact. Um, he says, couple this with the homophobia that runs rampant in our culture and you get a recipe for increased touch isolation that damages the lives of the vast majority of men. Uh, There's another interesting part in here that says that many boys have learned by the time they're approaching puberty, they have learned to touch only in aggressive ways through roughhousing or team sports. And if they do seek gentle touch in their lives, it is expected to take place in the exclusive and highly sexualized context of dating. This puts Mm. massive amounts of pressure on young girls, young girls Mm. who are be able to shoulder such a burden. It makes me think about how many times I work with couples where... Uh, I mean, this came up really recently. Um, cis hetero couple came in for therapy and, and she was feeling very frustrated by like his high need for, um, for sex, you know, wanting to have sex all the time. And, and as we got into it, I mean, it was really him wanting to feel close and connected with her and Mm -hmm. also sometimes just feeling stressed out from work or whatever was going on in his day. Like there was all kinds of needs that were getting filtered into this one thing. Mm. And, and she was also perceiving it as like, he's treating me like this sex object. And I like, am frustrated that, you know, I'm not a fuck doll. Yeah. Yeah. Being in that position, like I have to fulfill his needs all the time, but also he is trying to fulfill the needs that are like Mm -hmm. so much more expansive than just Mm. like sexual gratification, you know? Mm -hmm. So what are some other things you would prescribe to him? Like get some massages, like give each well, other I think back rubs? even just, I mean, yeah, totally. Like just identifying that and like saying it out loud, I could see things already starting to change. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like sometimes when I go to sex, there might be something else that I'm needing or wanting. And like a head rub and to be told that yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Just to like be close. Like maybe I just want to like, hold hands and like look into each other's eyes or like Mm -hmm. touch your face or have kisses or like talk about our days or you know Mm -hmm. something like how do I create intimacy with this person Mm -hmm. uh you know including sex but but not only relying on sex Mm -hmm. how do we have touch in other ways can we wash each other in the shower take a bath together Mm -hmm. or you know do some like couples yoga like how are can we sit back to back and do some breathing like 
I prioritize this stuff because if I don't have direct interaction with my person, then of course I'm just going to want to have sex because that's when I'm getting it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. But totally. I want to diversify my touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called Touch Isolation, How Homophobia Has Robbed All Men of Touch by Mark Green. Feel free to have a read. Uh, always reach out. They talk sex at protonmail.com if you have any thoughts, feedback, suggestions, or corrections. Okay, so Grace, I have a question. This is not on the outline. How do you feel about having a classically feminine name? Because I do <laughs> That too. is an interesting question. Ellen yeah, Grace. I think about it. I was thinking about it the other day um, that I've never like minded my name. Lovely. I remember it came up because uh, somebody was calling me. Somebody, people often think I say my name is Chris, and I think that is um, interesting. Influenced also by my like current gender presentation. Um, interesting. Like people will sort of switch it in their minds. Like that guy must have said Chris. <laughs> oh, right. If they don't see it in writing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, like they'll they'll mm-hmm. hear it. You know, I mean, I think people mm-hmm. also just like hear it incorrectly mm-hmm. sometimes. But mm-hmm. that is a thing that's like change throughout my life um and i think is somewhat influenced by like how i'm looking and yeah coming across in the world mm-hmm. um but yeah grace to me i don't know it feels like sort of neutral i was thinking about it like would i ever think about changing my name um and i sometimes play with like other kinds of like honorifics or titles and stuff but mm-hmm. i have Nothing's never really what's that nothing's come up yet as necessary yeah yeah I feel like it's mine you know it's like I get to Mm -hmm. I get to relate to it however I want Mm -hmm. oh yeah Yeah. definitely I had a non-binary friend who was very adamant they're like I'm not a girl I'm not a lady but yes I like the color pink and that's not Mm -hmm. going to change (laughs) yeah who owns the color pink (laughs) yeah exactly Okay, so what are some ways that masculine people can contribute to a healthier culture, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I might have a kind of disappointing answer to this question because I'm ready. Like, I'm really <laughs> – well, I'm just going to pivot back to, like, it, I think all of us can be contributing to a healthier culture by exploring our own relationships with gender health, like – like what that means to us individually. So um, that's masculine people, that's feminine people, that's gender nonconforming, non-binary people, mm. you know, everyone in between and all and all the uh, places on mm-hmm. that spectrum, I feel like it's kind of the same question. So um, I don't know if, it, I, I think disappointing because I'm like sidestepping it a bit, <laughs> but I think I think that's somewhat intentional in that like, um, I don't think that's just on masculine people. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a task that we're, we are all working with right now is mm-hmm. like how to work with power responsibly, how to like understand where power is and, um, how it could potentially be exploited mm-hmm. and how we might not be conscious of it mm-hmm. and, um, how to have healthier relationships with our own gender, mm-hmm. gender expression. Mm. I would say yes to all of that, and that could mean break all the fashion rules, just wear whatever you want, 
And if you experience resistance to that, then roll with it. (laughs) (laughs) People will get to know you. Uh, No, really, be brave. Um, Paint your nails. Mm -hmm. I mean, gender presentation is like a whole other can of worms, right? Yeah, true. Who is it for? Like, who, like, is it performative? Who are we performing for? Is it for us? Is it for other people? Which one is like more Mm. important at different times? Mm. These are questions I have in my head a lot. Mm -hmm. It's like, who am I wearing this for? Mm -hmm. I feel like people can contribute to a healthier culture by disrupting and not mimicking scripts that they hear. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. I really, really love my dirty little secret is I love watching really heteronormative um, skits because it's cringe as fuck. And it's something that I probably don't have to experience, but I may have in my previous like younger dating life. Um, like what? Like, like what? What's an example? Like men always leaving the toilet seat up. Or, uh-huh. you know, like living with a man, just like, you know, just expect them to be messy. Like you're just going to pick up their socks all the time. So like, like, do you really think that it is normal and healthy for a relationship to where you are arguing all the time and you have strict roles about how you show up and you disrespect each other in so many ways? Is that healthy or has that just been normalized in your culture? I see it a lot in like skits and TikToks and stand-up humor where men are talking about how women behave and women are talking about how men behave. Mm. And I'm like, yes, and also no. Like how many people are just behaving that way because they've been culturally conditioned or it's like expected of them? You know what I mean? Yeah, to fulfill a certain role and dynamic. Oh, I was was just thinking about how much people just stay in relationships in general that they don't seem to really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's also normalized for a lot of people. Yeah. Like, man, do you hate your wife? (laughs) And it's like... Yeah, like, that's just part of being married. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but like, but is it though? Like, but should it be just because it was for your parents? Maybe it doesn't need to be for me. Yeah. Yeah. So challenge the scripts. Uh, What books or resources or websites uh, have been helpful to you or would you recommend? Yeah, I don't have like a ton. Cam Fraser is actually somebody that I think about a lot when I think about like men's sexuality and sexual health. Nice. Um, Cam Fraser, um, one of my mentors is uh, Doug Brun Harvey. He hmm. um, How do you find coined him? the the model of out of control sexual behavior. Oh, and has um, done just tons of training and teaching and speaking on the subject What's over the years. What's his name? Doug. Like, what? Doug Braun Harvey, B R B R A U N dash Harvey H A R V E Y. Thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna look that dude up. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, there's a couple of books. There's one called the, "For the Love of Men" by Liz Plank. Hmm. It's pretty good. It came out a few years ago. Um, there's also one an old classic by Bill Hooks, The Will to Change. Mm. Talks a lot about masculinity and love and relationships. I'm starting a weekly group to talk about gender Ooh, as well. In person That's or Zoom? Resource. It's gonna be online. Nice. Yeah. Okay. How do people contact so, you about that? Um, you can go to my website, graceballard.com, or just email me directly, grace at graceballard.com. Awesome. 
Okay. And I ask every guest this, do you have any last sex tips for our audience? I was thinking about this um, and it really just got me thinking about like wherever you are on the spectrum of gender and like wherever you kind of feel like you tend to live. Um, I think that allowing space to play with other kinds of expressions can be really big and it can be very like small, subtle ways of shifting. Like if you're um, a person who's used to following, like trying out leading um, mm-hmm. or, you know, just kind of like embodying that, that feeling of like, what if I'm in charge? Like, what does it feel like to take on like a more mask role or a more position of power in this dynamic or even just solo with myself internally um just Mm. playing for that playing with that um and then vice versa you know if like a person is used to like directing and uh maybe even feels like pressured to be in charge all the time Mm -hmm. trying receiving trying following Mm -hmm. yeah Mm, yeah if there's one thing I've learned from my dominatrix friends is a lot of their clients their subby clients have like very high powered jobs and careers so they just want a time to let go (laughs) totally can be such a relief yeah you know I think heading in both directions of that like what do you mean um I think it can be a huge relief also for people who feel you know maybe even sort of submissive in their lives or a little bit like um, you know, down power in some way mm, mm-hmm. uh, to play with like being, being in charge, in charge mm-hmm. directing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And communicate to your partner that that's maybe what you're thinking either verbally ahead of time or if you two have a nonverbal way that you switch gears mm-hmm. um, or like a more subtle way. And that could be something like, you know, if it's planned ahead where it's like, hey, baby, I really like what we usually do, but I kind of want to experiment with like bossing you around a little bit next time you go down on me, you know, or yeah, whatever else. Um, mm-hmm. Or I know I usually like to climb on top of you and like be in control, but I would love it if you would just like put me in my place like the way I mm-hmm. want it for like five minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be actually so brief like that, like five minutes, like you mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, what did he do? What did he do? Oh, my boyfriend's so cute. So he, uh, I expected him <laughs> to be sexually dominant um, because uh, we put that on men a lot of the time. We expect them to be sexually mm-hmm. dominant. And um, it turns out he's not so much. So what did he do? The other... Um, <laughs> couple I hadn't been able to suck his dick for a couple weeks he was having a small herpes outbreak um I gave him herpes at some point in our relationship he's never had a general Mm -hmm. outbreak until me uh Mm -hmm. true love um so (laughs) we're navigating that like I love essing his d I love it so much and I got really frustrated when I couldn't um so but I didn't know he was healed yet and he uh we were in bed together we don't live together we see each other once a week so usually like I like to try to fuck um and he did this thing where he like (laughs) pulled the blanket off to show me that he was very erect and then he put his hand on the back of my neck and like kind of gave me like a little like not a shove but like a little push Mm -hmm. like 
like would you would you and I was like oh can I um but that was him like being dominant and he was really sweet uh, and I, I right I liked it and then I texted him um after the fact and so I said that was really cute and hot how you kind of like pushed oh. my head a little bit and I really liked it nice i told him i was like you need a boyfriend and he's like mm. yeah probably i was like i'll be your boyfriend <laughs> there you go yeah boyfriend mommy <laughs> yeah in the meantime i'll be your i'm also like five years older so yeah boyfriend mommy exactly um it was delightful talking to you grace and catching up with you yeah such a pleasure thanks for having me yeah thank you for the work that you do everybody thanks for listening Aww. to the yes androgyny and masculinity episode find grace Ballard Counseling on Instagram and graceballard.com. Until next time. Yay!